Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights and in this episode we're going to be looking at Southampton season in our Under the Lights season review. So without further ado let's get on with it. My name's Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson and join us in Kingsland Corner. This is Under the Lights. So we're now a week gone since the end of the longest Premier League season in history. It's gone on for a long, long time. There's been many highs, many lows. In this episode, Callum and I are going to look at Southampton's season from start to finish. We're going to start our story with the summer transfer window from last year and then talk about the many highs and many lows of the season, who's performed well, who hasn't done so well before ending the episode with our special Under the Lights Awards. So, Callum, we've gotten to the end of a journey and what a journey it's been. Yeah, weird season uh, for many different reasons. Um, obviously, you know, the, the biggest of all being that lockdown period, something that we've never seen the likes of, certainly in our generation and generations before. Uh, and in terms of uh, disruption to, to a football season, you know, obviously the, the entire world, but Premier League season with that kind of couple of months where nothing really happened um, and we were all craving for football. Saints, a very strange season as well. I mean, we'll be going through it from start to finish, but it was almost a tale of, uh, of two mini seasons one at the beginning which was horrendous and uh, one from christmas onwards which was um, which was almost top four form so um, let's start at the beginning then tom this time last season transfer window ralph parson Hutzel with his first uh, attempts to get a pre-season under his belt to try and move things towards his own philosophy and also to try and bring in some new players to, to fit that team there were some ins and some outs uh just to remind you because of course we were not really pumping in any money so it was it was kind of a self-sustainable window whereby in order to buy players Ralph had to sell players so uh Matt Target went to Aston Villa Gallagher to Blackburn Charlie Austin to West Brom and of course Lamina Classy Stephen Davis also headed out the door the ones that came in, um, and let's just rate these off the bat as whether you thought in their first season as a Sampton player, they were a success or they were a flop. Let's start with, you must forget that he was actually signed technically on a permanent in the summer, but um, let's start with an easy one. Uh, he was on loan for a season and we signed him for £20 million from Liverpool. Uh, Danny Ings. Obviously, the guy's a flop. I mean, his, you know, his injury record just, you know, it doesn't help. 20 million, you know, just wasted completely. I don't know why we bothered signing him. Um, no, of course, Danny Ings. There are not enough superlatives to give that man. And it, it's a phenom phenomenal season by him. And we just hope that he can continue that into next season. Pretty much one million pound a goal. Is that a good enough return for twenty million pounds? Only twenty-two goals in that first season. That is uh, that is the question. Um, obviously, he he's been an unbelievable success. He's just got voted the um, surprise of the season for Sky Sports. If that's that's a thing. Yeah, I don't know how much of a surprise he is, but I suppose no one really saw anyone scoring 20 goals for Saints 
incredible season for Danny Ings. Che Adams, 15 million from Birmingham, brought in unbelievable pre-season, scoring inside five minutes every single game. Missed his opportunity to do that first game of the season against Burnley and um, and really struggled in front of goal. I would have to say over the course of the season, he's a flop, but he's certainly shown a lot in the since lockdown that he can... Now, now he's found that goal, you know, several goals came straight after that. So it's a case of if he can carry that confidence into next season, then he will very much be a success. But it's been... Uh, I think he struggled, especially confidence-wise, this season. He'd have to go down as as a flop because, really, when we started the season, it was Ings and Adams up front. That was going to be the top two, and it just didn't work. We weren't getting goals, and in the Premier League, you need to get you need to hit the ground running really to be a success. So, on the basis of that, he's a flop. But I think next season he'll be a success. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He's, he's a flop. You don't sign a centre forward who doesn't score until what the fifth game from the end of the season, something like that. Um, however, he then scored uh, four in his final three. So, in that respect, I'd rather sign a player that doesn't score all season and then gets a load at the end than one who maybe started well, got a few in September, but then hasn't scored since then. So, uh, the future's bright, and I think this time next season we'll be looking at Chad Adams as, um, as a success, and him and Danny Ings up front is something that uh, we've got to look forward to as, as Saints fans. But yeah, this season, poor goals. Flop. I'm going to kick off with Musa Gineppo, £14 million. It's been a flop this season. When he does play, he's come up with some absolute gems. But the problem is where he's been so injury prone that we haven't really seen him on the pitch. Um, we haven't seen him get a decent run of games together. And although the goals against the Lux of Brighton um, and certainly Sheffield United showed that class, we haven't been able to see that on a regular basis to really impact the team. Again, I'm hoping that we can uh, sort those injury problems. And I, I, I think, from what I've seen of him, if he gets a regular uh, berth in the team, he could be he could be a fantastic addition to the squad. But season one flop for me. I'm going to have to sit on the fence here, and I think he's not been a flop. But he's not been a success because he's shown flashes of brilliance in the times that he has played, and he is really unpredictable on the ball and it's, it's a bit like what you just said about Shea Adams you'd rather have a you'd rather have someone who gets goals at the end of the season rather than someone who gets goals at the start and then numb towards the end he scored two fantastic goals against Brighton and Sheffield United to show that there is undoubted quality I think yes he has been pretty injury prone this season but the times that he has been on the pitch I have seen um, enough to think that he will be a success next season and if he can push his way into the team and become a first team regular then that obviously means he's doing something well because at the moment Nathan Redmond and Stuart Armstrong are performing at such a high level that it would take a lot of quality to displace one of them as one of those two attacking midfielders so if we're going to go signing or flop I'd have to go urge on the side of flop purely because he's been so injury prone that he hasn't been as much of a use to us this season as he could have been that's what I was going to press you for one, but um, you picked one anyway. It's no offence sitting here, but I, I know exactly what you're saying. But in a word, Kevin Downs is like, Flop. Flop. Okay. That was, that was it. Uh, that was essentially it for the, uh, the players that came in for Saints at the beginning of the season. Obviously, we can kind of go into um, January. It seems like he's only been here one season. Has Gunn been in here? Has Gunn been at Saints for longer than one season? He came from Man, Man City at the beginning of last season under Hughes. God, it doesn't seem like he's been there that doesn't seem like he's been there that, that long. I thought, I thought we got him uh, I thought we got him last summer. Um, anyway, right. So, so that's... Uh, 
Those are the players in, Kevin Danzo being right on the, right on deadline day, um, right on the last minute. That centre-back that we were begging for, that never came. And once he did, clearly it was a bit of a panic just to get uh, a, a man through the door. Pretty much just known for that that game against Man United where he uh, came up with an incredible assist for that cross for the goal. And, uh, and as we got into the game, then, um, then managed to get himself sent off. So centre back was the only thing we wanted to bring in. We didn't manage to bring it in, just attacking players really, and that almost set the precedence for the start of the season because what we thought was going to happen was we'll play the four-two-two-two that Ralph has become synonymous with as time at Leipzig. We thought that Saints would be an attacking force, and last season we played three at the back. That was really a short-term measure. To, um, to reach a short-term goal, which was survival after such a poor start under Mark Hughes. Uh, he came in, we survived, we started pre-season, we looked like we were playing two up front, everyone was excited, came to the beginning of the season and uh, and that three at the back where we, um, we lacked any real convincing centre-back, so we played three of them. And really, that, that first game of the season, that 3-0, uh, whooping in the hands of Burnley, really was a sign of things to come for the, for the next couple of months. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, we went into that Burnley game full of such confidence. We thought, right, Ralph has had his summer. The players look fantastic. Shea Adams is hitting the back of the net within a minute of the game. We're thinking, right, let's get into Burnley. Burnley themselves hadn't had a good pre-season. They hadn't really brought in any quality that stood out. And you thought that they may be one of the contenders to not go down, but maybe to struggle. And, you know, it could have been a different... It really could have been a different story had Shea Adams put that ball in at the back post within that first 90 seconds of that game. But he put it wide and then Saints struggled from, from, there, from there on. Managed to be on the right side of a couple of VAR decisions with a red card and a disallowed goal. And then Burnley in the second half, once they got that goal, it was one of our, a defensive mistake. Long ball going over the top, Vestergaard misjudging the bounce. And then Burnley were in and then were in two more times and made it 3-0. And it was a really crushing, deflating start to the season, considering that the uh, that the home games that Saints had coming up, you started to say, you started looking at the... From, from that game on, at the beginning of the season, you were looking, OK, we can pick up points here, we can pick up points here. We may be able to give Liverpool a good game. We might be able to get a point off some of the big sides. As soon as we got that 3-0, you were instantly, it's like, it's the same as last season. Where where are we actually going to pick our first points up from? Yeah, and that was um, and that was really heading into the season. Once we got the fixture list, that was really the thought process was this is a tough start to the season because all of our home games or first few home games were against big sides, and the away games were the ones against sides where we had the chance. But obviously, away from home, so we thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, would be more difficult. How wrong were we? But yeah, Burnley with that loss. But then the next couple of away games, we did pick up points. And we, and we mentioned uh, a couple of clean sheets. We mentioned Gineppo at the beginning of the season and how he was the one that was um, was was really winning us games, even if even in cameos. We lost that game to Liverpool. We won away at Brighton. We mentioned the one-all draw with United. And we got that win at Sheffield United. Um, so it was a kind of a, a mixed bag, but six points, no, seven points from those first five games was a pretty handy return. Even after that, we still had games against Tottenham, Chelsea, Leicester, Wolves, Man City, Arsenal, all coming up. So we needed to pick up some points. That game against Bournemouth 
was was the home game or was the easiest game on paper of our first six. It was one of those teams that we were well matched against, but we had at home, and we managed to lose that one. Was that really the start of things to come in terms of Saints' home form? I know the season before we weren't great either, uh, but was that essentially if we'd won that game? Could you have seen Slampton's home form potentially being being better? It just seemed to me that we'd had such a poor season at home the season before. Then we had Liverpool, we had Man United, where we huffed and we puffed, but they're difficult games. The first real decent test at home, uh, a winnable game, was against Bournemouth, and Saints ran out with a whimper. Really did, and I think for for that game. The whoever won that game was going to go up into about third place, just as the way that the table was was sat. And it was only about six games in, but still, I think if we'd won that game, gone up on a Friday night into third place, then there'd be a hell of a lot of confidence about the squad as it stands. Saint as it, as it happened, you know, we went out with a whimper. Bournemouth took the game to us, and they showed a lot more quality on the ball, a lot more desire to win. And we thought maybe, especially I did the commentary for that one coming back from that game. A lot of chance of mind the mind the gap, and with hindsight, that may, they maybe shouldn't have, have done that, considering they ended up getting relegated. But that away, the the Bournemouth banter and the Bournemouth rivalry aside, that was a game that was our most winnable home game, and we did not show, we did not turn up, and it sort of epitomised the defensive situation that we got back into the game too little, too late. We got a penalty. Warprow stuck it away. And then we huffed and we puffed, as we've seen many a times with Saints, lost the game by half time, struggling in the second half to try and get it back. And then we just kept on knocking on the door, had some good efforts, played some good football, and then were undone in the very last minute by a goalkeeping and defender mix-up for Callum Wilson to have an open goal in front of 5,000 mad Bournemouth supporters just to completely deflate, end the game there. And it was a case of... You know, everything in the summer was really positive about Ralph. But I think that was the start of him losing his way for a short period of time during the season. Yeah, and I think, as we said, that was quite pivotal. And uh, Bournemouth, after six games in the top three, uh, ended up in the bottom three. And at that point, they, they looked really good, Bournemouth. And, and the likes of Callum Austin and Fraser getting forward caused us some real issues on that, on that Friday night game. I just want to talk, and now's a good time to, to talk about the season as a whole. For, for one player but in those first six games Danny Ings only scored one goal in the defeat to Liverpool um, he also only started three of the games and didn't complete 90 minutes uh, didn't complete 90 minutes until the ninth game of the season against Wolves obviously with his injury problems another another example of just what a season he's had and how he's turned it around within those 38 games um, he, got, he went on a little run from the next game, which was Tottenham away. And all the Saints weren't winning games. He was scoring goals at an alarming rate. Let me just run you through this. So one in the first six. He then scores in a 2-1 loss at Spurs, a 4-1 loss against Chelsea, a 1-0 draw against Wolves. He then doesn't score in the games against Leicester and Man City, fair enough. Then he scores in another five games in a row. Everton, Arsenal, Watford, Norwich, Newcastle, where Saints picked up some vital points. Blanked in one game, scored two in the next. Blanked in another, scores in three in a row. And, and this takes us up to sort of January. So he really picked up in that spell. And that was a spell in which Saints' fortunes turned around gradually. I remember doing the game against... Uh, Chelsea, and again, it was another sign of our of our form. We fought really hard away at Tottenham. 
we're blown away against Chelsea, who I thought were probably the best team I saw at St Mary's last year. Managed to get a one-all draw away at Wolves. We talk about this a lot. It gets talked about a lot. But we can't have our season review without really, it got worse and worse at home. And then that stormy night where Saints went down to 10 men, um, one of very few times I see a, a captain make the sides, win the toss and, and, and switch ends. And of course, it was Kestra Michael as a keeper without making the excuses because clearly Leicester were by far and away the better side. How important to Southampton's season? was that 9-0 because I, I recall and I'm sure it would have happened the same way I recall having a conversation with, with my dad after after that game and saying look if Ralph Arsenal doesn't give up on this um, cautious three at the back because we, we were so poor defensively it almost seems like he thought safety in numbers let's put three centre-backs back there but the three centre-backs were changing every single game and, and none of them were having a good game and we said, well, I essentially said, he needs to just revert back to what he does because what we're blessed with is decent attacking options going forward. And we're sacrificing those in order to plug a leaky defence with another below average centre-back. And, and we'd all thought it previously, but this was almost the exclamation point, not just for fans, but I think for Ralph Hasenhurst too. Probably had conversations with the board, probably had stern conversations with the players. But it was at this point after that game where we played Man City twice in a week and, and uh, it was a good reaction, although we didn't get the wins. But after that, we, we then started to see a change in the philosophy and lo and behold, a change in the fortunes. I think that night, I was, I was thankfully on holiday on that day. I'd taken a couple of days away and I was just, I'd gone out for a meal and I'd come back and I'd seen what the result was. And I was a lot younger, but I was a fan at the time that we were, you know, days away from liquidation. That 9-0 result is the lowest I have felt as a Southampton fan since that thinking that I'm not going to have a club to support. It was, it was shocking. It it made me feel numb as as a supporter and it was a case of how on earth, like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just refreshing the page thinking, no, that can't be right. They, they must have made a typo. And at that point, I was thinking, I don't even know what Ralph has to do because I think he's a, I think he's a good manager, but he's really lost his way. And it was, it was a case, as you said, we were playing three at the back. We were playing three centre-back. None of them were performing at a, even a below average level and sacrificing attacking options. I think that result, a lot of home truths were brought to roost a lot of players that were underperforming got told exactly that and in no you know in, in, in no uncertain terms and the fact that Ralph then stayed and Martin Simmons said look we're going to stick with him it's going to be the players that go first before the manager because we believe in him made me think okay this isn't Ralph this the, the, some, something has happened and he needs to change back to what he knows and that 9-0 result, I think, or is actually almost the best thing that could have happened to Saints in recent times in terms of the club needing a wake-up call, that they're on the spiral going down. And no matter how much positive propaganda they put out, it, the spiral was still going down and down and down. That 9-0 made people open their eyes and think, hold on a minute, we're going to go down to the championship if we don't sort something out now. And as shown by the rest of the season, that night woke up Southampton. And we've now just, 
we've ended the season in Champions League form. In the same year, we've ended the season on Champions League form. That, I think, in recent times is the most crucial thing. Since Marcus Lieber took over the club, I think that result is the best thing that could have happened for Saints in a long, long time to stop that downward spiral. Yeah, we'll get on to, to the, the form thereafter. I think it's it's an easy way, it's an easy thing for Saints fans to say, to say that it was a great, you know, a great or really important thing and a turning point. Of, let's be honest, it was a complete embarrassment to be associated with. And if, if you had the opportunity now for that to be erased and that not to have happened and that for us to have lost 2-1 or to have lost 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, I think the vast majority of fans would have taken it because regardless of, of what happens now, that's in the history books and that happened. So um, we can gloss over it and try and find the positives and say, look, it was really important and uh, glad it happened and it was like you just said, the best thing that could have happened to us since takeover or whatever. I mean, I don't, you know, it, I don't subscribe to it that drastically and that enthusiastically. But what I will say is, it was obviously a point where, like I said, us as fans, I remember doing it myself. Ralph obviously did it. Everyone had to take stock. That was a point where you had to just stop and assess everything and just say, right, yeah, something has to happen. Quite drastic. For uh, for people to to stop and just think about what's going on and to completely start again, which is essentially what he did, and maybe wouldn't have got that so quickly, and maybe it would have taken us into the into the Christmas period, into the spring, still losing by the odd goal at home and still in the bottom three. But and, and maybe it was important that we had something so such a milestone really in the season. But I think it was important, and and what credit the board gets for sticking by him, but also, and you mentioned it wasn't necessarily Ralph. I mean, he's he's got to take responsibility as a board of players. But how many teams would you have seen that would have taken an absolute hammering and ended up going out with a whimper, lost lost loads of games, got relegated, um, done something similar to what Norwich have done this season, done what the likes of. Derby, uh, Huddersfield, Sunderland in history have done and gone down and, and given up. Um, they didn't down tools. In fact, they rallied. And my God, did they rally because they just finished 11th. And um, and as you said, the form after that was was absolutely unbelievable. So you know, credit where it's due. And, uh, and as we look through the fixtures, yeah, Saints had those games against Man City, which they lost. The next home game, you thought, right, now we're going to see what Saints are about. And another home defeat to Everton. And, and, and you wondered where it was going to go from there. The next game is the vital game. Not necessarily because of the way that it played out, but it seemed to be the start of an upward trajectory for Saints. And, uh, and that was the absolute outclassing of Arsenal on their own patch, where Saints didn't win. And that was typical. But that was typical of our defence... Um, but it wasn't really the defence that let us down in this. It was the spurning of chances because uh, Saints could have gone away having won that 4-5-1. And in the end, it was Lacazette with a, with a 90-something minute winner. Equalise, I beg pardon. But people walked away from that going, you know what, there's something in this team because they've just completely outclassed Arsenal. Yeah, it was a, it was a massive turning point, I think. That performance was, you know, it's fantastic. And, you know, the the quick thinking of Ryan Bertrand to take that free kick rapidly and then Danny Ying's continuing his fine form in front of goal. 
Arsenal, you know, they still had the quality going forward and that's where, you know, we had our shortcomings because we knew if we let them have a, de- have a decent opportunity or even a decent half chance, then with Aubameyang and Lacazette up front, they were going to take it. Arsenal were lethargic, but Saints had a lot more fight in the middle. They won the ball well and they counted correctly. And as you said, they were it, there were so many good chances spurned. I remember watching the game and just thinking, okay, we're going to win this two, we're going to win this two one. But how have we not won it by three or four? I mean, we were just a Cedric cross, slightly a slightly less power on it, and Obafemi would have scored. I mean, I don't, I don't know how a professional footballer can get to the edge of the six yard box, having won the ball from a defender, have just has to square it and decides I'm going to absolutely rocket this at my striker, and he, like, it was just a number one of many chances. Redmond had a good chance, Ings as well, Wall Prowse. And then, obviously, the sucker punch in the 96th minute where there were boos at full time, even though they'd scored a last-minute equaliser because Arsenal had been so outclassed by Saints. One point I want to make is we one part of our season, excluding league results, was a fantastic 4-0 win against Portsmouth. Now, whilst that was brilliant, and it will go down in the history books as, you know, we they always can say about, oh, we beat you 4-1 on our own patch, but we beat them 4-0. Um, Danny Ings, I think that was the start of his great form. He finally, he got two goals against his own club's um, arch rivals. That really pumped him up. But I also think it papered over the cracks and we felt really good about it. We, th- we were on a high, confidence Confidence was high because we thought, yeah, we just, we've, first time we played them in seven years and we've absolutely thrashed them. But at the same time, it did nothing to the league form. And then, of course, the, the results happened in the meantime. Um, I don't know if that's something you feel the same. It was just papering over the cracks or whether it's just something, a standout result of the season that can stand on its own and be like just an accomplishment of this season. I don't know. I think, I think, it, um, I think it completely changed the season. I'm not sure exactly where in amongst these league fixtures it fell, but it was something that the Saints fans and the club needed. Um, and what better way to get a pick-me-up after such a difficult start to the season than, than thrashing Pompey on their own patch and being led by uh, by one of our own in Danny Ings. I think it was the absolutely perfect tonic for the struggles that we'd had. And as I said, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but it was in amongst that upturn in form. And um, and for Saints to, to go there and completely outclass the team. I know two divisions below them, but it's such an, an important game for the fans and the kind of pressure that they probably would have felt going into that out of form. Uh, I think you're right. I think that's a massive pivotal point. We'll go on to that in more detail because I'm sure it will crop up when we start talking about the um, the awards at the, at the end of the season. But yeah, so the Arsenal game, we get that draw and then then becomes probably the most important week of the season for my money with two home games against Watford and Norwich that really uh, those were the three teams in the bottom bottom three us, Norwich and Watford and having trailed to Watford on that Saturday that late kickoff um, for a considerable amount of the game we turned it around 1-2-1 and then we went and beat Norwich in midweek by the same score and 76 points almost brought us back from the dead and we could start looking forward. That, that was massive for Saints. And uh, one, one person that I want to bring to the table and the conversation who actually didn't play much at the beginning of the season at all, but he came in off the bench against Arsenal, off the bench against Watford, then started 
a number of games, and this this coincided with the um, with the four four two formation. That Shane Long, uh, who who obviously not only was the formation helping the side, but it meant that having sacrificed one of those centre backs, we could bring in an extra striker, and Shane Long was that man. Although he didn't get the goals. Um, I'm a huge advocate of him in the fact that we play better football and we are more effective and we get more points when Shane Long's in the side. Yeah, and he's the perfect foil for Danny Ings. You know, he used, I actually saw, I think, a stat this morning that he was in, I mean, the guy is, what, 32, 33 years old, and he's in the top 10 for fastest speeds of a Premier League player this season, and that was in a sprint against... Tottenham I think anyway so he's you know he's got legs and he's an absolute nightmare for defenders because he can pull them in any direction and even if he's an option off the bench you know a tiring centre-back the last person they want to see coming on fresh legs jumping absolutely like wound up but like a Duracell bunny is Shane Long because although he doesn't have the finishing ability that put much fear in the heart of a Premier League defender he is an absolute nuisance. And the fact is, you've got to do your job. You've got to keep an eye out for him because he still can find the back of the net. But that means that you're going to have to take your attention away from, you know, the main man, Danny Ings, to mark somebody else. And then I think the goal against Aston Villa this season in the 3-1 win, that first one where all the defenders got dragged towards the run of Shane Long, which meant when he had the shot and it was parried by Heaton, Danny Ings was left all alone in the six-yard box just to put it away. And that's what Shane Long brings to the team. He brings that element of surprise and also that just tenacity that really, you know, drags attention away from Danny Ings. And that's, I think, why Danny Ings has got so many goals this season as well. Yeah, and, and I, think, um, I think that's a fair point. And it takes us on to Aston Villa because after those two uh, victories, so important, Saints then went two games without winning and they lost They lost away at Newcastle. And then they lost that one little home game against West Ham. Just really thought maybe we turned the, the corner with the home form. We lost to West Ham. Then we played Aston Villa and it was another crunch game at the bottom. And we beat them 3-1 away from home. And what was important is whilst we were down there, we seemed to be beating the teams around us, which was vital because we lose two of those three games and all of a sudden we're probably propping up the rest of the table. So six pointers, um, it's a cliche, but they really do almost feel like six points. We win that game just before Christmas. We go into uh, the Christmas break on a high. Then Boxing Day comes and probably our most impressive result of the season against Chelsea where I thought we were unbelievable and it wasn't really something I saw coming. And I think probably at that point, that's where we realised that actually away from home, we were a really good side and and the way that we were playing, we caused teams all manner of issues. We then, we, then, then was a bit of an unbeaten streak for uh, for five league games, some cup games in there too. But we beat Villa, we beat Chelsea, we drew it home to Palace, and I think that was a really pivotal point uh, where where Danny Ings capitalised on that um, a defensive era where the ball was played back, but not to the goalkeeper. Always difficult playing Palace at home. They set up, they really kept us quiet. They got that lead. Um, and they gifted us an equaliser. And then we ended 2019 uh, and, and a pretty poor 2019, especially at home, but generally poor 2019 to boot. We managed to survive, but we hadn't really progressed too much. Uh, but we started the season with a home win, which was um, not the season, sorry. We started the, the, the new year, 2020, without knowing exactly what that year had to entail. Um, a home win against Tottenham and it was a huge result followed by some revenge against Leicester uh, in two 
really, really important wins for Saints. Yeah, the wins in in those runs. I mean, the the winning away to Chelsea was superb because we we never really looked under too much stress against Chelsea. We actually played a game where. We didn't dominate them, but we controlled it. We always looked like we had uh, like a firm grasp on the game and it didn't look like we we're going to lose the midfield battle. I think the pivotal moment and what really showed was like a physical embodiment of our form at that time was N'Golo Kante had the ball. Ward-Prowse won it off him and Kante won, won it back off Ward-Prowse and Ward-Prowse was still going at him and eventually managed to legally get it off Kante, shoulder barge him, get Kante on the floor, which not many players are able to do, and then take the ball down the other end for Saints and we almost scored. That was just showing that there was a real fight in the team. And it was a fantastic win against Chelsea. One of the goals of the season we scored from Nathan Redmond. The win against Tottenham, another brilliant, brilliant game that was and a brilliant win that was encompassed by the form of Danny Ings flicking it over the head of Alderweireld and then just leaving Paolo Gazzaniga stood centrally in his goal as he just smashed it into the bottom corner on the volley. And yeah, that was another game that we played really, really well. I think actually one of the best away performances was shortly after that away to Crystal Palace. Selhurst Park is a very difficult place to go. Not many teams go there and get points except after lockdown. And it was one of the most dominant away performances I think I've ever seen from Saints. Palace just never got going because Saints just didn't let them. And we scored two absolutely fantastic goals through Reverend and Armstrong. And I mean, it's happened over the past couple of years, but it's really funny to watch. James Ward-Prowse, along with becoming an incredible midfielder, he's found his position. And I think that's another thing to go with this season is Ward-Prowse playing every single minute shows just he's now found his role. But the fact is, he's, he's now he's like the Southampton poster boy. And every single one of those minutes that he spent on the pitch, he's also spent in the head of Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, and, and, and the feud continues between the two. Um, and it, it seems Zaha will forever be in the pocket of James Ward-Prowse, who isn't even a right-back. And they're, and they're talking about 40, 50, 60 million pounds this summer. But uh, a, a huge game for Saints... Just mentally, uh, just before that Palace one, was of course that 2-1 win away to Leicester where Danny Ings managed to get that um, that goal and uh, off, off the, the legs of Schmeichel. And it was just so important to try and exercise the ghosts of that 9-0 where we'd been in trouble this season and we were showing just how far we'd come really. And to win away at Leicester, who were third in the league at the time, was a huge result for the club, regardless of... Um, payback or whatever you might want to call it to win away at third place was, was massive Saints then went 2-0 up at home to Wolves and almost like the good old days of the, uh, of the sort of 2004-05 season where we seemed to throw away every single lead that we ever had we managed to somehow go from 2-0 up and cruising uh, in the second half to losing that game 3-2 and again something we haven't lacked uh, um, certainly in the second half of the season or maybe the, the final two-thirds of the season it's character because we did that and then it was followed by that win against Crystal Palace where we played maybe one of our best games of the season so I mean it's, it, it kind of still reflects that that away versus home form you know you win against Leicester away you lose somehow despite playing well at home to Wolves you win away at Palace I mean Liverpool we lost 4-0, but, um, but actually we took a lot from that game because Liverpool were winning every single game and we probably caused them more, pro more problems than most. 
once they got that goal and then the second it kind of it was curtains really and they and they went and got a couple more again a home loss to Burnley 2-1 another difficult game but then uh, that, that win against Aston Villa 2-0 and, and, uh, and one of your favourite moments of the season and, and, and how, how vital was it when we just started or started to win because it didn't happen very often but when we were winning the odd home game just how important was that becoming for Saints in the psyche we got those wins at home against Watford and Norwich and then we managed to get that 2-0 lead against Wolves who were chasing uh, even like Champions League qualification at that point and we got 2-0 at half time and then we threw it away in the second half and then you just think oh this is you know same old Saints at home we're going to revert back to you know, not not being not very good at home. And that game against Aston Villa, I mean, it was one of my favourite moments of the season individually in terms of commentating on Stuart Armstrong's goal to make it 2-0. It was really, really important for the psyche because Saints had gone 1-0, were 1-0 up against Aston Villa, who were shocking in that game. In a game that meant so much to them, down at the bottom of the table, you're thinking, so the Hampton are poor at home, we can take the game to them, we can get a result, we need to pull this out the bag. And then Villa dropped one of the worst performances I think I've seen from an away team at St Mary's in, since Sunderland. It just And it could have been 8-0, but the fact is Saints just didn't take their chances. Danny Ings had a couple of one-on-ones, and whilst he's put loads of them away this season, he has also missed quite a lot of key chances. Pepe Reina was in really hot and cold form. He was he was putting his own team in terrible situations and then pulling off absolute worldy saves to stop them. Uh, he kept on... his distribution was poor, wasn't it? And then he was, and him and and the, the centre backs were absolutely woeful. Uh, kept giving the ball away, and we were almost. Almost uh, nonchalant in our finishing because we knew that in five minutes all we had to do was chase them down and they'd give us the ball again. But that was a huge result actually for Saints because it was it was our only win in those last five fixtures before obviously lockdown hit. And a lot happened for Saints in lockdown, and we'll talk about that. We talked about it a hell of a lot, but we'll talk about it briefly. In that, really, this was a huge turning point in the season. And I say turning point, Saints were still, you know, once lockdown came along, I think Saints were in 14th or maybe six points clear or so uh, from memory of, of, of the uh, of relegation zone. And uh, we weren't too worried, but there was still a, an outside chance that maybe if we if we started poorly, we could get dragged in. Mm. Um, a lot happened, uh, and a lot of positives for Saints in terms of the way that they trained players like Danny Ings came back and his numbers in terms of fitness, were better than when lockdown started. And a change of captaincy as well. When you mentioned James Ward-Prowse, uh, he was everyone's hot favourite to get that captaincy because Hoybjerg wouldn't sign a new deal. Now, as we speak, it, it sounds like he's going elsewhere, but we're just waiting for someone to stump up the, the cash or the, or the offer. Ward-Prowse came in as the captain. Saints came back really fit, full of confidence, and started with the... Um, a resounding 3-0 win away at Norwich and with that win 37 points I believe that put us to um, and really that, and that was Saints safe and in the end the numbers showed that that was Saints safe but uh, in our mind that was Sampton with another season of Premier League football we played with a smile on our face another away win at Norwich and therefore after that eight games left with in inverted commas nothing to play for. Let's just summarise the last nine games for Southampton because I've got them here in front of me. We lost one game. It was the next one at home to Arsenal. 
in the next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, we've managed to go unbeaten, getting points off of the likes of Man United and Everton away, City at home, um, and and a number of games against those sides near the bottom. I mean, we beat Sheffield United final day of the season as well. The form for Southampton, there's, there's a table going around, I put it on Twitter, the third best return points-wise of any club in the Premier League since lockdown. How impressive were Saints? And most importantly, what does that mean for Southampton going into next season? Did we maybe hit some momentum at the wrong time because now the games are finished and there'll be a break and we'll be starting again? Or are we looking at this thinking this is something we're going to take forward and this is the new way that Southampton play? Lockdown came at the right time for Saints because, as you said, we'd only had about one win in five games going into it. We'd had some good form in the middle of the season, but then that seemed to be stagnating. We then had the break and then obviously we came back about six or seven points above the relegation zone and we were thinking, right, this this lockdown is going to go, this restart is going to go one of two ways. We're either going to pick up points early and it's going to be a really nice thing for the fans to enjoy all the way to the last game or we lose points to likes of Norwich and Watford and it's going to be the tense end of the season just trying to scrape enough points to stay above that relegation line or just at least stay out of the relegation not race because no one's really trying to win that race, but you know what I mean. And we discussed it before how if Saints can pick up points early with all the games on TV for fans to watch, it's going to be a really enjoyable summer of football for Southampton fans just to see how the players can progress. And it turns out we came back with a bang. 3-0 win against Norwich. I know they went off to win. They went off to lose every single game and only score one goal. But we, you and I discussed how we thought Norwich, you know, this is a restart for them. That If they're going to survive, they need to hit the ground running. So it was a really impressive result at that point. And then, uh, and we looked good. We looked like it, it could be, the first half was all, the first half of the first game re, of the restart was always going to be bad for every team. You know, lethargic, um, sloppy touches. You haven't played proper football in a real, real long time. We did that. Second half was brilliant. And then we just kept it going. Arsenal, hottest day of the year. Obviously the heat got to Alex McCarthy and we played really poor. Since then, the form has been scintillating. Manchester City, yes, wasn't really a game that we can show our pressing football, but it was a real backs against the walls. The same, the teams looked completely committed, throwing every single thing in front of the ball. We got a fantastic win. Uh, Shea Adams with a superb goal. End of the season, seven unbeaten. I think, obviously, there is that, you know, that worry. Have we found momentum at the wrong time? Is it going to all go away in the summer? It's only a seven-week break. Saints, those players are going to be chomping at the bit to come back next season. They they would have I don't I, I don't think they would have minded too much if the next, if the the season had started the next weekend. Saints at the moment are clearly they're all in it. Even Carl Walker Peters, who joined in January, he put out on Twitter that yeah he's on he, he's on a loan and we don't know what's going to happen. We assume that Saints are going to buy him, but obviously that nothing's confirmed with that. But even even put he's looking forward to next season. This is a player that really really you know wants to be part of the project. And I think all the Hoybier aside, all the players look like they're absolutely loving football. They're loving uh, Ralph's style. We're finally seeing that that Hazenu's style. We're actually physically seeing on the pitch the 4-2-2-2. You can actually see that in the setup. Whereas at the beginning of the season, it was a bit all over the place. We didn't know who was playing where. You look at the team sheet and you think, hang on, Kevin Danto's playing at right back. He's playing at left back. He's, not, he's a centre back. He's not even playing in the right position that we've got him in for. We didn't know where players were playing. Now we, you can physically see on the pitch where they are. With right signings, Keep that momentum. And I think they will. It all, Obviously, it depends on what the fixtures we get. You know, if you start with a difficult start again, 
then you know we, we thought we went positive into this season and then the difficult start means that you know we didn't have many points on the board after the first 10 games and it was a bit of an uphill battle from there they've turned it around it's brilliant you think that with with a, with a relatively nice start the players will be really excited to get back and start playing because they know that this as you, as you say like something is happening here if they can keep that going then i believe that the momentum is here to stay and next season could be one of the most exciting seasons that Saints have had in a good four or five years. Yeah, I don't think um, yeah, we won't talk too much about the future because it's a season review, but I don't think we'll have that problem because I think, like you said, Ralph was making obvious errors. He was playing players out of position. He was leaving up other players on the bench. Shouldn't have played the three at the back. At the start of next season, we might have some difficult fixtures. And you know what? In some ways, that might suit the Saints because sometimes it's best to play some of the difficult sides before they get their own momentum. But you know that Southampton are going to go into next season and Ralph won't be making those mistakes because everyone's going to know what they're doing. And Hudson has had a full season um, and the majority of that, he's, he's implemented the style and we've got better and better. He's now going to have seven weeks. I don't know how we're going to... We'll, we'll talk about this in a future podcast, but I don't know how Saints and other teams are going to use this seven weeks because in Hudson Hudson's words... We've already had our pre-season during lockdown, so the fitness is, is great. But I don't know if some, some teams will have more holidays than others. Might not be able to go abroad. Some teams might have pre-season. Some teams might not just tick it over with a few friendlies sort of every week. It's a strange time we're living in. So uh, that will be interesting. But as we say, yeah, Saints towards the end of the season, fantastic. And it was also great to see Chad Adams uh, get himself get himself those those goals uh, that we thought would never come, including an absolute world against Man City. But yeah, the, the absence of, of Hoybier from the team became became a point, not just the captaincy, but he dropped out. Romero filled in brilliantly. Stuart Armstrong had uh, a blinding end to the season himself, and we hope that the likes of him, the centre-backs who finally showed that they uh, they were quite useful at times, had some form. And McCarthy in goal, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I felt we might need to find a goalkeeper, but if he plays like that, then we've already got one. So good things for Saints going forward. Let's just end this then with uh, a few little um, under the lights awards, if you will, a few a few nods to, to players and maybe um, some negatives as well. But uh, as far as a few questions at each other then as to what we would uh, what we would give these these awards for including the likes of player of the season, goal of the season, etc etc. Where do you want to start, Tom? Let's go with player of the season, get that one out of the way. We both know who it's going to be. He's going to be there by a country mile, and that, of course, will be Kevin Danzo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Danny Ings is obviously the player of the season. We don't need to say much. He's single-handedly won games for Saints, single-handedly uh, won various points um, and and turned our season around. And actually, without his goals, uh, where would we be? I don't really think we need to talk too much about him. Maybe it's worth giving some honourable mentions to the likes of James Ward-Prowse, who's played every minute to become captain and has really grown into the side, especially in the 4-2-2-2. Don't know if there's anyone else that you'd suggest maybe in the top three of our uh, players of the season at Saints. Three, I'd probably put Ryan Bertrand. You know, he just... Yeah. 
he goes under the radar and people say, oh, he looks disinterested, but he goes under the radar because he's constantly putting in, you know, seven, eight out of 10 performances and he's just getting on with his job at left back. He gets on with it. He looks like he's loving life at Saints at the moment. And he said in, in previous interviews that he, he, he loves it down here. So I'd go with Brian Bertrand. Honourable mentions also to Stuart Armstrong, who's had a fantastic year. But obviously we could list so many players going into this. So what I want to ask you, Callum, is now... You said before in the podcast here in lockdown that you can't actually remember some of the goals from this season, but of the ones that you can remember, which one would you pick as the best goal? We've had some really good goals actually this season. When you when you try and come up with the with a little list, um, I won't go through any other ones apart from my my first choice because yeah, yours might be different, and you, and I don't want to um, steal your thunder, but. I would uh, personally go with the Nathan Redden goal at Chelsea because as a team goal, it was unbelievable. The amount of players involved in it, pass and move. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many there were, but I know there were, was a lot going around on social media about how many passes and you know, and they speed it forward and just to show you. But to do that against Chelsea as well, after um, after a full Christmas dinner, I think that's uh, that's that's got to be my that's my type of goal um, yeah you can smash it in from 40 yards you can put it in the top corner you can beat a few men but a team goal uh, like that that's my that's my goal this season for sure uh, I, I really rate that highly honourable mention I think from me goes to Shea Adams against Manchester City but that is not my goal of the season my goal of the season is a bit left field, actually. Um, I would go for Nathan, another Nathan Redmond strike, but this one against Crystal Palace when he got the ball on the about 30 yards out, took a couple of steps to the side, and then he's hit it. And it's so it sounds so nice because he's hit it off the underside of the bar, and you can just hear that smack as it goes in. He's hit it with a lot of power. It's a really good finish, and it was a really good performance. Um, so I'd actually go with that. I, I do like the Redmond goal against Chelsea. I really, really like that goal. I think, as you said, so many good passes. And the the actual build up to it in, in the final few passes, the back heel from Danny Ings, the flick over the head from Armstrong, and then the chip through ball to Redmond. But my choice, Redmond against Crystal Palace, just purely because I love the way that it hits the back of the net. What would you have as your? Hold on, let's talk about that more then, because I completely forgot about that goal. But it was you're right. I don't think many people would have gone with that. I think Che Adams is yeah is a good goal. A lot of people might choose that. I just think with the Chelsea goal, it's more. Technique. I mean, Chad Adams, unbelievable way to open your account. But he, he has he's seen the keeper off his line as well, and then he's he's managed to lob him. Great goal. The Redmond one, really sweetly struck. I'd also put Gineppo against Brighton, and definitely Gineppo against Sheffield United. And I think we can we can move on to the next question without without talking about that, where he he's managed to take it past an entire defence that we know. Uh, it's pretty damn solid after the whole season. So, Gineppo, those, those were goals in games three and five of the season where he looked like he was um, an absolute gem. Hopefully, we'll see we'll see more of those. But, yeah, yeah. what, what was your next question, sorry? The next question would be for you. Um, what would you pick out as a singular best result of the season or your favourite match of the season? 4-0, uh, Fratton Park on a, on a cold, dark night where um, their boys took one hell of a beating. And, you know, you're always nervous in those games. And we let them have a little bit of a half and a puff at the beginning. Uh, managed to get away with it. But once once Danny Ings turned up, scored a couple of goals, knee slide in front of the uh, in front of the, the home fans. And then um, for Cedric to get on the axe. And, of course, it's another good finish from Redmond. And you see the outpour of home 
fans heading for the uh, heading for the car park to beat them four 0 in their own backyard. It doesn't get any better than that. No, it doesn't. That would be my my choice as well. I was very tense, very nervous. I thought throughout the because it was raining so much in the build up to that game, I was thinking this is going to get cooled off. Like, there's no way that you know a League One stadium is going to be able to hold that much water. But you know the floodgates opened. Saints did get their four goals. Uh, Quite literally. And if, if I was actually to pick a league game, one of my favourite scores or favourite results this season isn't even a win. It's uh, the two-all draw at Manchester United after all the hype about how good Manchester United were. A lot of fans on Twitter I was seeing saying like, you know, Saints are just going to turn up. Thank you. We're going to get in the top four. And then Saints to score in the 96th minute to equalise was, it was, a, it was a real high and it felt like a win. Now, obviously, we've had some fantastic wins this season, but it was just a little bit sweeter, I think, that to getting the equaliser in the last minute. Not they didn't they ended up getting top four, but at, at the time, everyone was thinking, you know, this is going to be four or five. Man United, how many penalties are they going to get? And then Saints went and nabbed a point in the last minute in Fergie time. Yeah, I think um, other ones that Saints fans will be talking about uh, Leicester away after Arabish dropping to there just a few months later and win 2-1 away from home against a side who looked destined for the Champions League in third place comfortably um, and have been for most of the season just because it signified the turnaround over a short space of time and in terms of the league I think that we've already mentioned it from a, from a goal perspective but to win 2-0 at Stamford Bridge on Boxing Day uh, that would have been my favourite result of the season in terms of the leagues All right, it's not all positive then tell me who's been your flop of the season my flop of the season has been Sofian Bufal. I think he hasn't played. He hasn't played a lot, but he was brought back from Celta Vigo. We thought, okay, Ralph's got him in his plans. You know, he he has the obvious talent and technical ability. Let's see what Ralph can do with him. He can be really exciting, and it, it's it's just not happened for him. And he, unfortunately, he's been a flop for quite a few years now. But I was really thinking this season a bit of Ralph dust. Um, you know, he could be a real creative influence and it's just not happened. He just can't find that consistency. He can do, he can completely meg and end a few career, end a few careers for about five minutes in certain games, but he doesn't do anything for the other 85. And it's been really disappointing because I thought this would be a season that he'd kick on. What about you? I know what you're saying, be foul, and he has been a flop up to this point, but I really felt like lockdown came at the wrong time for him because he was starting to get that consistency. He was starting to get a consistent run of games as well. I think with uh, with Redmond's injury before lockdown, um, he was, and, and obviously Boomba, uh, Gineppo constantly being injured, he was the man on that left side. And uh, I'm trying to remember who it was against the game at St Mary's. He actually had to go off injured. We got an injury in the first half and so did they. It may have been Aston Villa, but the, he, he was... And I think that's about the best we've seen of him. And it's just a shame that he the lockdown came and then he never played after lockdown because he obviously got an injury as well. So I think, yeah, I can see why you're going with that. But I, um, and, and he hasn't done it consistently, so I can see why he's a flop. I just, I mean, I'm still a Buffalo fan and I see the potential in him. And I think now that he's got a manager who will play him in a system that suits him off that left side. Next season could be, we've said it season after season, but next season could be, if he gets consistent game time in an attacking side, could be uh, the best we've seen of Buffal. Um, for me, 
it's difficult. It's difficult to get a flop of the season, you know, when when we started so badly and have and have improved so much. So I'd probably look for a player that was playing at the beginning of the season but hasn't played was dropped and although I, I, I don't know if flop's the right word because I don't think he ever looked a good player but Jan Valerie is just an awful footballer and we're at the point where we don't have a right back we, he's the only right back at the club and I, I still think we need to sign two right backs just because he's not even good enough to be second choice um, we need to cut our losses with him and you know, he, he was the next youth product to come through but I, never, I don't think he's ever really sold Himself, Saints fans, yeah, and I think he's, I think he's, he's poor. Him and Vestergaard, I think Vestergaard's good enough. And maybe harshly because of the nine 0 but Angus Gunn played when we were poor, got dropped, and McCarthy played when we were good. So yeah, maybe those, but I'd, I'd, I'd certainly go Valerie. I'll tell you who's my best young player of the season, which is a question I know you wanted to ask. Um, and actually, we don't have many because I don't think we've we've had a number of young players that have come through and played a lot. Um, Smallbone's come in, but he hasn't really played enough for me. So the only player that really leaves, I mean, Vokins we thought was going to play a bigger part and we didn't see him really all season. Even when Bertrand got injured, we were playing Hobio or Danzo or anyone else at left back. Valerie, young player, but we've already mentioned him. Smallbone just come in. Other than that, there weren't really too many. So I'd have to go with Michael Ovemi with the process of elimination. Although I think he's still got a hell of a lot of improving to do to be with us in the long term. You know, he got that equaliser away at Old Trafford. He, he, he did play well in that game against Portsmouth and set up that goal for Danny Ings. You know, he does come up with something every now and again. And I think he's the best of not bad bunch, but a shortage of nominees for this category. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's when you think of young players that have had performances and minutes in the side, there aren't many that, uh, there just aren't many that have, that have come through. And, you know, you, you're speaking of the real ones to choose from are Valerie, Vokin, Smallbone, Obafemi. And Valerie is, you know, a non-starter for that one. I'd say, I'd say Michael Obafemi has scored some really, you know, He's, he's actually had a couple of really good goals. The one against Chelsea was really, really superb. Um, I'd say, just to be different, I think my young player of the season has been Wolf Smallbone because he looks really composed in the midfield. His passing range and his attitude in the middle of the pitch is of someone who is playing at a much higher maturity than his, than his own. Um, I think he's going to kick on next season. I think he's going to have a bigger part to play. I think Ralph thinks he's going to have a bigger part to play as well. And I think... It'll be interesting to see just where he's going to play in that system, what kind of role, because we've seen him play in the middle of the pitch. We've also seen him adopt that inside winger, as it were, as he's as he's been placed by Ralph in sort of the um, the middle two in in the four two two two. So it's a big season for him next year. Will Smallbone? Uh, I, I I think the future's looking bright for him. I agree. I think I think it's not Obafemi just doesn't do it quite get it for me purely because I think he's still got a long way to go and a lot of stuff to improve as a player. Because whilst he's scored a couple of good goals in some games, he's looked completely lost and uh, yeah. hasn't really made much of an impact apart from just being another body on on the pitch. I think uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's process of elimination, like I said. Uh, Will Smallbone just hasn't played enough for me. He only really came in after lockdown um, and was a substitute really in those appearances. Play that position. I do think this time next year uh, he would probably be a prime candidate. We'll have to. Um, 
we'll have to set our parameters on the age limit because with the way in which Samson's transfer strategy is at the moment, uh, we do sign young players, so uh, we might have to bring that down to um, teams only. Um, with the likes of Gineppo is obviously very young. Everyone's waiting on someone like Salasu to come in, who's young as well. So the way that we're signing players is uh, a, a young team with the likes of James Will Prowse as the, as the older statesman, and, and he's not too old himself. So uh, that'll be interesting, the way that Ralph Hasner goes forward with such a young team who are obviously keen to learn from him, and you can mould into your own team. Just one one thing that we didn't mention is, uh, and it serves a mention, is Danny Ings' goal against Tottenham is is definitely up there with the goals of the season. The uh, the Gaza slash Letizia dink over the head, and then and then the volley on on the weaker foot. So we have actually added. We could probably put a decent video together of the goals of the season for Saints, and I'm sure we'll see that from the uh, from the official Southampton Twitter site, uh, Twitter page very soon. Any others? Any others that come to mind in terms of your uh, your awards? Uh, I suppose we could try and go for signing of the season, but that's a non-starter because we already know who it is. And we already discussed that at the beginning of the episode. I think that is the 2019-2020 season wrapped up. What we've got to do next, Callum, is put together an absolute whopper of a Premier League review episode. We've got some really good ideas for that episode, which we hope that you'll enjoy. That's not going to come out until next week, uh, but we'll be looking at every single club and we'll also be looking at just how right and how drastically wrong we got our pre-season predictions last summer, Callum. Yeah, and more Aaron on the side of wrong. Well, I've started to listen to uh, to part of our uh, recording and already got a few, a few quotes that did not age well. At the beginning of the season, it's quite funny listening to to us back then and realise how much football's changed, and almost thinking you guys had absolutely no idea what this season was going to be in terms of COVID. You know, not finishing until July. You know, we had absolutely no idea what, what was what was in store for us. Uh, but yeah, we'll be we'll be going through that. Uh, we'll also be um, probably break it down into two episodes where we'll do a general review of the Premier League. Uh, lots to talk about. And also, uh, yeah, go through those um, go through those those predictions we made right at the beginning of the season. You may have heard episode three of this podcast right when we first started. I'll give you one more question that's come to mind, Saints wise, to wrap this up. Um, who would you give as your most improved player this season? Because I think that is a more difficult question because Saints have improved as a team so drastically as the season's gone on. I feel there are quite a few prime candidates who have improved from the start to the end of the season. It's a really tricky one. I, three players come to mind for me. Let me guess them. All right, have a guess. Stuart Armstrong's in there. Nope. Oh, well, he is now that I've mentioned it. <laughs> he's, he's improved massively this season. The two centre-backs? One of them. Stevens. It is Stevens, yeah. I think Bednarak's improved as well. Yeah, no. I, would, I would go, the ones I thought immediately were the two centre-backs and Armstrong. I mentioned actually earlier McCarthy would, would would be one in there as well. So there there are so many. Who, who are your top three? My top three: Daniel Prowse, Jack Stevens, and Danny Ings. Last season he only got about eight goals. Yeah, he was injured for a lot of it. But if you think about an improvement or an upgrade, Danny Ings has gone from a twenty million pound. Well, he's a bit injured. You know, I suppose it's you know he's playing for his boyhood club. That'd be nice. We have a nice striker, but he hasn't. You know, he doesn't have the best record. 
oh, he scored all of his goals in the first half of the season and we haven't seen him for the entirety of the second half of the season. Boom! Next season comes along, he's got 25 goals in all competitions. Yeah, I think I think we're answering a different question there. You're, you're looking at who's improved most from last season to this season. I was looking at who's improved the most as this season has gone on. So that, that, that explains why we're, um, why we're worlds apart on, on what we're saying. I, I, th- I think the two centre-backs were awful at the beginning of the season and now they're not awful. So I think they've managed to come back a bit there. I think Armstrong has become a player that was a bit part and is now in the starting eleven consistently. Um, but you're right, this season, James Rockcraft has been fantastic. Danny Ings, obviously, as well. And those are probably our two best players of the season. So in terms of improvements... Yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. We've ended on the improvements. Hopefully, you know, Danny Ings can be the most improved player next season as well, and that means he's hit 30. Uh, Yeah, we're going to get that Premier League uh, review episode to you next week. We're looking forward to recording it. And uh, it's going to be strange not having football pretty much every day in terms of the Premier League, but there's a lot still going on. We've got the FA Cup final. We've got the Champions League starting in just a few days. There's a lot of football still happening throughout the summer. There's not really going to be that much of a break. but We'll keep you all updated on that. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Under the Lights, where we've reviewed Saints' season and what a long season it has been. If you can want to send us any questions on Twitter, you can find the podcast at under underscore Saints. You can find myself, Tom Murray, on Twitter at T214Murray. You can find me on Twitter at Callum Wilson 21 Thank you for listening and uh, look out for our next Premier League podcast.